Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, as I have shared before, when, uh, when Cassie and I moved here to Houston, I didn't have a job lined up as a pastor. And so as I kind of searched around and couldn't find one, I ended up taking a job as a middle school teacher at a local Lutheran church and school. I was signed up to teach uh, religion and history and technology. And then uh, about a month or so before school began, I got a phone call from the principal, and he said, Hey, do you know Spanish? And, uh, and I kind of laughed and said, I mean, I, I took it in high school. And he said, Okay, can you teach Spanish? And I said, I, I want to say again, I took it in high school. Um, and he said, Right, but you know Greek and Hebrew. I'm like, What does that have to do with anything? He said, well, that means you, you know how to learn languages, so you must know how to teach languages. And, and our, our Spanish teacher decided to homeschool her kids, so I'm kind of in a bind. Would you be willing to step in and just kind of fill in until we find somebody better? And I was like, I, you, you're in Houston, Texas. There is somebody more qualified, I promise. But if you need me to, I'll fill in. And those poor kids, they watch so many Disney movies with the Spanish audio track turned on, like, this is our class today. Mm-hmm what you get. Um, well, fast forward a couple of years, and I'm sitting here in my office, and somebody hits a little buzzer on the door, and I, I go and I, I check, and it's this woman holding uh, a baby carriage, right? I open the door. Hey, how's it going? Well, she doesn't speak a word of English, only speaks Spanish. I'm like, this is my time to shine. It wasn't my time to shine. I don't know Spanish, as it turns out. Uh, we tried to converse back and forth. Ultimately, I pulled out my phone and was like, furiously typing into Google Translate. And I found out what she wanted was she wanted to baptize her kid. And I was like, oh, awesome. Well, we can do it right now. And she said, yo necesito mi familia, which I learned later means I need my family. So she scheduled a later date, which is going to be like this Saturday. So at 10 a.m. on Saturday, say a prayer for me because I'm going to try and figure out how I do have some people that are fluent in Spanish. Lori turned me down, but uh, some fl- people that are fluent in Spanish to come and help. There we go. We got some other folks over here helping. Look at this. This is great. Um, that can help kind of translate, right? Because I'm, I know that I'm going to say the wrong thing. We've got to pronounce it incorrectly, and there'll be some misunderstanding. But at the end of the day, God's going to do the work, right? I recognize that it is a sacrament, that it is God doing the thing the sacred thing. And so even if I say the wrong magic words, God will do something incredible, even if there's a little bit of misunderstanding and language barrier there. So today, as we look at what is ultimately a very foundational concept within Christianity, uh, we're going to look at some, some language barrier and some misunderstanding that has affected our mindset when it comes to Christianity. But before we go into that, let's go to our God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today, this chance that you've drawn us together here in this place, online, wherever, whenever it may be. We get the chance to worship you, be present with you. Lord, help us to take that seriously. Lord, as I'm about to prepare or about to share this message, I, I pray that, that I'm able to take it seriously, and I pray that ultimately it's you. Who am I, Lord? And so I trust in you to speak. I trust in your Holy Spirit to be at work. And I pray that all of us would be bold enough, myself included, to submit to you to hear exactly what you need us to hear. We thank you. We praise you. Let your Holy Spirit be at work. In your name we pray. Amen. In my previous church in Florida, we had a population of people who were deaf, hard of hearing. 
And so we had a, a sign language interpreter. She would do ASL sign language. And it was amazing because she could actively take what I was saying. She could hear it and then translate it into ASL for those who understood that. Um, and, and I admit that occasionally I would throw like a fun word out there just to see what she was saying about it, right? But she was always very adamant that when it came to scripture readings, that they would be printed out, that she could actually read them. And, and finally I said, well, you're really good at, at hearing what I have to say and then translating it. Why do you want scripture written out like that? And she said, well, because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to accidentally change the words of God. And I, her name was Tess. I said, Tess, I appreciate that. But remember, it wasn't written in English. So you're already translating a translation. We're already looking at Greek and Hebrew and having to say, well, what's the easiest and best way to communicate this to a modern audience however many thousands of years later? So you translating into ASL, it, it can be a faithful translation, but I'll, I'll print it out for you. And I think sometimes we forget that the scripture that we read, unless you've studied Greek and Hebrew and some Aramaic, what you are reading is a translation into English or Spanish or whatever language you speak. And English in particular is a notoriously non-colorful language, right? You've heard the stories of uh, the, the, the First Nations, the indigenous people in the northern part of our continent, how they have like dozens of different words for ice. And we're just like, it's ice. Well, that's what it is. Or Polynesians in Hawaii, you know, they have different words for lava. We just say lava, right? And because they had to kind of interpret their world. Um, in the same way that you've heard sermons on the different words for love in the Bible, right? There's agape, there's philios, there's eros, there's chesed. And we just go, it's love, L-O-V-E. And you're kind of going, well, what, what's the deeper meaning here? English is unfortunately lacking in some of that colorful language. Well, in our Romans reading today, we encounter a foundational concept that unfortunately we have oversimplified, and that is sin. Sin is possibly one of the most important concepts within Christianity. It is the very need for a savior. You hear the concept of sin, you hear us talk about sin, and really it's a church word that every now and then you'll see adapted into pop culture. But sin, and if I were to ask you to define sin, you might say something to the effect of breaking God's law, right? Well, this word sin, it's not a transliteration or anything. It's a word that's been created. Well, technically all words are created, but it comes from all these different words. Here are some, some Old Testament words that also mean sin. Chata, chata, which means to ensnare, to entrap. It's a temptation, right? Uh, pesha, which is rebellion an act of defiance, awan, which is guilt or wickedness, rasha, which is evil. Then you get into the New Testament. One of my favorites is hemartia, which is an archery term to mean to miss the mark, right? You tried something and you missed. Uh, parabasis, which literally means to go across the boundary, to, to cross the line. And then lastly, anomia, which is literally without a Nomia, law, without law, lawlessness. All those different words, more often than not, we just translate as sin, right? This concept of breaking God's law. Every now and then you'll see some fancy word in there like transgression or iniquity. Really, we're just switching something out to make us sound more intelligent, right? He forgave my transgression, he forgave my iniquity. Really, what we're saying is he forgave my sin. But this definition of this foundational concept where we say it is going against or breaking God's law is so oversimplified. 
It's like this. If there was somebody who was driving in a, on a city block and they got into a massive accident and the sidewalks were crowded with people at like outdoor cafes and they all rushed to the person's aid, pulled the person out of, out of the car, saved their life, and the police showed up, they did what they needed to do, and then they turned to all these heroes, these bystanders, and said, all right, now let's talk about these jaywalking tickets, right? Because they technically were jaywalking. They entered into the street, not at a crosswalk. But nobody's going to do that. Because sometimes it's about the intention. Sometimes it's about the will. And so to fully understand sin, it really it comes down to an intentional and willful rebellion against how God designed this world to go. It's this complicated idea that we perhaps oversimplify. And even beyond that, if, if I were to talk about sins and you have sins in your mind, if I say picture some sins, you probably can picture some things. If I go through the Ten Commandments, and list off some, right? Well, those more often than not are what are called sins of commission. Sins of action. Sins that are done, right? Like uh, murder, uh, adultery, uh, lying, cheating, stealing. Those are all things that you do. But there's also something called sins of omission, which is to say not doing something that God has asked you to do. Namely, love God, love your neighbor. Namely, the great commission which he gives to us, go therefore and make disciples. So you might even say that every single day that you lay your little head on the pillow and you didn't tell somebody about Jesus, you have sinned of omission. And when you start to think about that, it becomes a little overwhelming, doesn't it? It, becomes, it makes you a little more nervous. It makes you a little less likely to say, well, I try and be a good person. And ultimately what it leads to, and where the reason there is conflict there, is it is a broken understanding of sin. I've used this illustration in sermons before, or in, uh, in, in teaching before, but I don't think in, in a sermon. So imagine this. Imagine uh, this altar is a timeline of your day, right? So your alarm clock goes off, and you're not a morning person. So you mutter something, right? And you've, uh, you've sinned, the, broken the second commandment. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Okay, then you, you get up, everything's going well, you eat your breakfast, you watch the news, you manage to not sin while watching the news. God bless you. But then you get in the car and you live in Houston. Yeah, I th we'll just do one little X here. Um, but we'll just say whatever it is that happens on I-10 or 290 or whatever road it is, um, whether that be that you, you wish murder upon somebody, whatever it is, right? We'll say there was a sin there. And then you get to work and, and, and you, got, you got some issues at work and, and you're really struggling and you're, you're not trust. And then you come, come home, you're okay, no trap, you're all right. But then you, I forgot to, to say a prayer of thanks for our meal tonight. You know, and then, all, and then my, my wife and all, like you have all these different sins that, that are going on. And some churches and some denominations, the Catholic church would be one of these. They would say, okay, so what you do with these exes is you go, what, to a priest, and you say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I did that, I did that, I did that, right? So it'd be like this. Forgive me, Father, for I sinned. I, I used the Lord's name in vain. And he says, oh, good, you are forgiven. Forgive me, Father, I had to, I had to drive on I-10. Oh, for, you are forgiven and understood. Forgive me, Father, because I did this. Forgive me, Father, because I did this. And they say, you are forgiven. Well, you see one of the issues here and the big concern that happens and weighs upon uh, the mindset of people who have this is what if you forget one? What if you missed over one and you were kind of missed out on thinking about it? Or the bigger issue here is you're still the one in control of this. 
right? You're still the one that goes to the priest and says, forgive me because I've done this thing. Essentially, you're still bringing forgiveness upon yourself rather than God doing it. And let me tell you the truth. It is God doing the work. And so, as Lutherans, what we believe is it's not about these X's. It is about the fact that we are sinful. Within us wants to draw away from the light. Every little temptation we are so quick to give into. We are so drawn back into darkness into sin. And so the Luther mindset is that if we were going to mark our sins with little X post-it notes, this entire altar would be covered. But the beautiful thing is God's grace isn't just X's and O's and covering them up. God's grace is saying, no, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone, it's all gone. You've been set free because of the work of Christ. When you recognize that the sin that we have is us and the forgiveness that we have is God and he willingly offers that grace and forgiveness to you suddenly this concept no longer matters because this this idea of X's and O's and trying to live well I did this and I did that ultimately what you're saying is I hope at the end of my life that the Excel spreadsheet that is my morality and forgiveness that somehow the ledger balances out to zero that's my hope and Paul, as he's writing Romans, says, no, 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 that is such a flawed understanding of sin. That's such a flawed understanding of God's grace because you're still a slave to this system. You are still a servant to making sure for every bad you do a good. The word slave. I mean, talk about the English language, right? It's an emotionally charged word. And to stay faithful to the original word, doulos, we're going to use the word servant, right? Because we're going to kind of step away from that emotional baggage of the word slave for a second. So servant. The way Paul phrases it is he says that, that you're a servant to sin. And if your goal is to, to cover up all these little X's, your goal is to balance out your ledger, you are still a servant to that system. You are still a servant to that sin. This is true in our lives, right? We still live according to achievement and to-do lists. We still live according to popularity and reputation. We want to make sure that people know how good we are. This is so tempting because we want quantifiable value. We want to know, I am this much better of a good person than that person. I'm this much better of a good person than I was yesterday. We want quantifiable results. We want to be able to point at a resume and say, look how good of a Christian I am. But we see Jesus in our gospel reading talking about sparrows and saying, you are worth so much more than that. You are worth more than you'll ever know. Because our God doesn't just go through and take off the individual post-it notes. Our God looks at you and says, you are worthy of forgiveness and grace and love. You are worthy of unconditional love. You are set free. You no longer have to serve sin. You no longer have to try and win your own salvation because it is freely given to you. You have been set free. But because of who we are, we continually return back to those shackles, to those chains. We go back and say, no, no, I'm free. I just like to hang out here still. 
right? That's why Paul says, uh, if you're forgiven, if this is true, then, then should you just take X's and say, well, if it's all going to be taken away, then let's live and have a life, you know? Let's, let's just cover this thing with sin. And he says, by no means. Because we're challenged then to live that better life, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, not because we're trying to win God's favor, because that's the way the world was designed. That's the way things are supposed to go, that we can benefit one another. God has called us to love God and love people. And part of loving people is living with freedom and telling them that they are set free. This past week, we celebrated Juneteenth, which is a fascinating holiday because it's not the day that slaves were freed. It's the day that they were told that they were freed. And we as the church need to be proclaiming to the world that the people have been set free. We need to be sharing that love, that freedom that we already know. There are people who are still bound to this system of morality, this system of quantifiable worth to which God says, no, you are worthy because I made you, because you are my child, because I love you and set you free through Jesus Christ, not by anything that you do. And that's fine that you're trying to do things well, good for you, but just know that even when you fall short, even while we are still sinners, you are loved, you're forgiven, and that there is hope in that. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been set free. That's, that's good news. No matter what language you speak. Amen.